0: And I have a gem of a text, a beautiful, beautiful, unique text. And we finished the book of Romans today. Uh, we started the book of Romans. If you recall, we spent the entire year in the book of Romans. We spent the first month of the year in a little series called Life is Hard. And it was really to set up this series of messages or series of five different series that we did this year f- through the whole book of Romans. You may have noticed that, it, that except for maybe a week that I took off to speak up north, That And maybe Easter Sunday, every single text, every single message this year has been taken out of the book of Romans. And we just preached our way through the book of Romans, and that's just been an enriching experience for all of us. And we're reaching the end of that today, and really the climax and the heart of that today, when we get to this unusual text in Romans 16, and we're going to preach the whole message is all of Romans 16 uh, today. And I don't know what your favorite part was. Maybe your favorite part was the first three chapters about sin. And maybe you really needed to talk about that. And you needed to think about that. Maybe it's during that time that you really came to understand the problem that sin is. Or if you're like I am, maybe your favorite part was in Romans 3, 4, and 5 when we talked about justification by faith. And maybe it just dawned on you this year for the first time that salvation comes as a gift from God. It's not something that you earn. Most people just don't get that. And that's our message here at Evangelist, to go and tell everybody salvation is a gift that God gives to those who believe. And that's what Romans 3, 4, and 5 teaches, justification by faith. And you probably have Bible verses memorized somewhere in Romans 3, or 4, or 5, or maybe a bunch, or maybe your favorite passage of scripture in Romans would be in the next section, which talks about how to live a holy life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And some of the richest passages of scripture that Christians have committed to memory are somewhere between Romans 6, 7, and 8. Probably some of you could quote almost all of Romans 8, this beautiful passage of the Bible about the love of God. And that might be your favorite part of the book of Romans. Or maybe you love the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. One of your, one of those, one of your, one of those beady eyed Calvinist types and you just love Romans nine through 11 and you love to go to Romans nine through 11 and argue with people about that. And that's your favorite part. Bless your heart. That's just your favorite part. And maybe there's a section in there that's a treasure to you. And of course the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is a wonderful treasure. Maybe it's in there or maybe it's in Romans somewhere in Romans 12, maybe Romans 12, one and two is your favorite part of Romans. And that's the part that you quote about dedicating, making your body a living sacrifice to God. Or somewhere in Romans 12 through 16. But I will tell you this. If the Apostle Paul put your name or the name of one of your close friends, associates, or relatives into the Bible in Romans chapter 16, that would be your favorite part of Romans, wouldn't it? And you would never want someone to read Romans and read over that name like it doesn't matter. Am I right? You'd be like, excuse me just a minute. There's a lot of good stuff here, but let me just show you a passage. You remember my mother. Her name is in the book right here. You want to see it? It's right here. It's in Romans 16. You see that? That's my mother right there. That's what he's talking about. She said, the apostle Paul himself said that my mother was like a mother to him. And that's because she fixed him breakfast, even though he was a big deal. He was an apostle and he always thought he had to get going. She said, sit down right now. You are not going anywhere until you have eaten your breakfast. If your mother's name was in Romans, that would be the part you would cross stitch and hang on your wall. (laughs) Am I right about that? Here's what happened. When I went to, when Lois and I had the privilege of going to Israel, something happened that changed my life forever. And here's what it was. I started to notice the places of the bible like i never noticed the places of the bible before you know what i did i would i'm embarrassed to say this but i would like read over the places of the bible unless they were the kind of the big famous places like bethlehem or something i would go zip i would read over the places of the bible and i wouldn't orient myself to where this is taking place because i'm from ohio people from ohio they just think they were born in the holy land they're like i'm from ohio Why do I worry about anywhere else, you know? But then what happens, but wait, have a witness, Wayne, yes. But then what happens is, you know, you kind of get around a little bit, and you realize, man, there are some amazing places in this world. And and there are people that live in these amazing places. And there's stories that spill out of these amazing places. And when Lois and I got to travel to the land of Israel, the land of Jesus' birth and ministry, then, whenever I read my Bible, I look for the places I, I think to myself, I remember standing in that place. I know what it looks like. I was there. And I never want to read over the places of the Bible again. Well, what I'd like to do today as we finish the book of Romans, is I'd like to do for you what that trip did for me as in regards to the names that are listed in Romans 16. I've had the privilege of spending a few weeks just meditating on Romans 16, thinking about what I'm going to say to you about Romans 16. And what you'll notice in Romans 16 is it's a huge list, a whole bunch of people. There are three different sections in Romans chapter 16 of names. The first section in verses 1 through 16 is the, uh, the, the, the names of Christians who are in Rome or in the church in Rome. And they're greeted by the Apostle Paul. He says, greet them. He commends them. He says good things about them. He says some really nice things about them. But it's a big, long list of unusual-sounding names to us. And that's the first section. They're people in Rome that Paul is sending a commendation to, a greeting to. And so they're special to him. They're people he's never going to forget. Now, there's another section, and that's where it takes a little bit of a dark turn. In the next section, you're going to notice this in your Bible, in chapter 16, verse 17 through 20. And it's interesting, this in verses 17 through 20, now he's going to talk about people there too, but he's not going to use their names. Now he's not against calling people out, but he doesn't happen to do it here. He just g- gives a broad category of people who were not on the mission of Jesus, who were not under the mercy, but instead they served, and instead of serving God... They serve themselves, and he warns the people to stay away from those people. He says, mark those people that caused that division and stay away from them. So you got section number 1, verses 1 through 16, people that he commends. And he lists their names, and he says a lot of cool things about them. Section number 2, people that were doctrinally off the rails, selfish, caused division. He says, pay attention, mark those people, and give them a wide berth. And he says some other interesting things in that little section there. But ever the gentleman, he just chooses not to use any specific names right there. And then he gives another list of names. And this is an interesting list. It's his team. It's the people that are currently with him, probably in Corinth where he wrote this. And he's sending a letter now to the Roman church. And he's mentioning all the people that are with him and and that are with him on the mission of Jesus and with him under the mercy. And that's the best way to understand this. So those in Rome who aided the mission of Jesus to all the nations and the glory of God and they serve the Lord in verses 1 through 16. Those who hindered the mission of Jesus to all the nations hindered the glory of God, served themselves, verses 17 through 20. Those who with Paul aided on the mission of Jesus to all the nations for the glory of God and who served with Paul Verses 21 through 24. And there's another little section at the end, a beautiful section, which is what we call a benediction. It's really an actually doxological benediction. It's a doxology. It's a praise benediction where he brings the whole letter to a close in a beautiful way. And it's a really important thing because he actually repeats the central truth of Romans there. And, and, and just as we, as we, it's almost like a little echo at the very end. He says, and don't forget, this is what this whole book is about. On on the mission and under the mercy in Rome are all these people that are listed in 1 through 16. We have a little thing that we do here when we bring a person on our uh, church's uh, church staff or on the team on the church. And one of the things, that I have the last interview with them. Usually they're kind of interviewed by all the people in their area and who's going to supervise them and all of that. But then I reserve the right to have the last interview with them. And one of the things that I've done recently is I ask them to come into my study and I show them a video... And the video is a training video from the Chick-fil-A uh, organization. And what it does is it just takes a camera into a Chick-fil-A restaurant. And it goes around the restaurant and it shows the faces of people in the, in the restaurant. It shows the pace, faces of people ordering their food. It shows the faces of a little girl, the face of a little girl that's getting a drink and running over to sit with her mom. It shows the face of an elderly lady that's drinking her coffee all alone. And that's all that it does. And then while it shows those faces... It'll, sh- it'll have a little, like, bubble that comes on the screen, a little text that comes on the screen. And what it does is, while it's showing the face of that person, the little, s- the little text on the screen tells the story, the major story behind that person. And so the fellow that's standing in line, and he's waiting to order, and he's looking up at the menu board, it says, he lost his job this week, and he doesn't know if he's going to get another one. And then the little girl that's running over to her mom, it says, This little girl, her mother died when she was born and she wonders if her daddy loves her. And all around the restaurant it does that. And by the time you're done, your heart is just wrung out with compassion for these common people that are all just at a restaurant. You realize every life has a story. I wonder if we trained a camera on your face and if God, the Holy Spirit, will put a text on the screen. What would it say about you what would be the main thing that characterizes you? What would it be that you're thinking about? Well, if you get a chance, uh, someday you should go down this way in our church. And before you go out the main doors by the office are a bunch of pictures that don't mean anything to a lot of people. Because they're people that you generally don't know. Or maybe you know them, but you don't recognize them. So many years have passed. But what it is is, is our church's hall of history it's people that are very, very precious over the years who've come every week, and maybe they drove the bus, maybe they gave their tithe, maybe they taught Sunday school, maybe they encouraged the pastor, maybe they were one of the pastors, and on and on. Maybe they're people who have strayed away. But you walk down the hall of history of our church, and you see these people in a very, the, the very uh, warm a comfortable, beautifully well appointed building that we enjoyed worshiping in today is here because those people did what they did. That's not just pictures on a wall, those aren't just names. That's a sacred place. Paul is doing that with the Roman church here. It's not history then, it's, it's current events then, but it's history now when he gives these lists. And I want you to notice in verse 1 I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Chentria. By the way, that servant word is the same word we use for deacon. It's not the the official office of deacon necessarily, but that's the idea. She's a servant of the church. You may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and myself also. When I studied this and I had a meeting with Linda Linden this week and others, I thought Linda Linden is like this. She's an example of a woman like this. She's getting a lot of stuff done. I almost tempted to ask you to raise your hand. If you originally came to this church because of the Guiding Hands Pregnancy Refuge, a number of you would do that, but she's the kind of person that takes too much upon herself. She would say that. She just takes a lot on herself. Paul has this Phoebe lady, and she's actually probably going to carry the letter to Rome. He says, I want you to receive her, and whatever you need from her, I want you to help her. You notice in the Bible, you know, authority and leadership goes to men generally. Of course, there's women that are in authority in, in certain ways. But in this case, the Apostle Paul is just saying to the men and the women of the church, look, when Phoebe shows up, you just help her. You do, what she, you do what she needs because she's getting stuff done. And if you're a pastor, you know that any church worth its salt has many women like Phoebe who just get things done. And if you're a smart pastor, you say, hey, you help that lady. Whatever she needs you help her. That's kind of what we've been saying here about Linda. We could say it about many of you. And then it says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, in chapter 16, verse 3. In, in your version of the Bible, the one I'm reading in the New King James, it says Priscilla. That's actually carried over. In the original language of the Bible here, it says Prisca. In, in another place in the Bible, it's Priscilla. And what it is there is, the, is in this particular case, Paul's just using a, a, a kind, common term like Charles is here today but we always call him Chuck. And that was um, uh, what, what, what the Apostle Paul did. Priscilla and Aquila, they are my fellow workers. And here's what he says, they risk their necks for my life. They risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the nations, of the Gentiles. He says, I owe them, they risk their life for me. And by the way, you all owe them too. You don't realize, but they had a lot to do with what you enjoy. Just like I talked to you about our own church's hall of history there. And look at verse 5. Likewise, greet the church that's in their house. They hosted the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus. Who is the first fruits of Acacia to the Christ. And the first fruits, this is an area in Asia, modern Turkey. He said he's the first convert, is always a significant person. The first person to come to Christ is usually the beginning of many others. He says, this fellow's name is Epinatus. Greet him. I remember him. You understand, Paul's not been to Rome yet, but he has all these personal relationships with people that have traveled there. He's somehow gotten to know them. He says that, and likewise, greet the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who's the first fruits. Greet Mary. And again, he says, of her who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junica, a couple. My countrymen, my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. He's talking about a couple here who are near associates of the apostles. This is kind of a big deal. If you knew people that hung out with the apostles, you might want to have coffee with them, right? Because they would have some interesting stuff to tell you. And this is true of this couple. That's what he says. He says in verse 8, greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Urbanus is a guy from the city. He's a town boy, which is really interesting next to our fellow worker in Christ, he calls him. And Stakes, my beloved, and that word means he's probably a country boy. So it's interesting he's saying, you know, there are people in the church that have that farm boy background. And there are people that were raised in town. It is the opposite here is what he's talking about. And greet Apelles, approved in Christ. And greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Read Herodian, my countrymen, uh, greet those who are of the household of narcissists who are in the Lord. And then in verse 12 it talks about Tryphena and Tryphosa. It's interesting, these are women's names, and what they, what they actually mean is uh, delicate and dainty. Can you imagine these, these twin girls named delicate and dainty? And what does he say about them? They labored hard in the Lord. Paul uses sort of a play on words. He says, remember, delicate and dainty, those hard worker girls. And if you've been around the church, you know that's the way it works. Not necessarily always the young or the strong or or the ones you would expect. Often it's just people that labor in the Lord that are just kind of unusual kind of people. And yet, that was what he said about them. And greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Have you noticed how often he talked about work? and labor, and worker, and labor, and labor. You see it in verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, verse 12, uh, uh, two times in verse 12. Paul is talking about, the, he's all obsessed with the mission of Jesus, getting the gospel to people, and getting people living under the mercy. And he's saying, what really matters in the world is the people who labored in that cause. And I'm listing the names of people who sacrificed, who gave, who labored in the cause of getting people under the mercy, uh, who are on the mission of Jesus? And then he says something really interesting. He says, "Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine." In the Gospel of Mark, which is sent to Rome, he talks about Simon of Cyrene, and most Bible scholars believe that Rufus was his own son. And this is the one Rufus's mother was like a mother to the apostle Paul. And I don't know what that meant. Maybe she sewed on his buttons or maybe she cooked a good breakfast. But somehow she mothered the Apostle Paul. Rufus, whose father carried the cross, and Rufus' mother, who was like a mother to the Apostle Paul. These aren't just names. These are stories of people who forwarded the mission of Jesus. People who helped other people get under the mercy, who themselves were people who lived under the mercy of the Lord. And then there are names that don't have any name, don't have any stories associated with them. When you arrive at a passage like this, one way to approach it is, what does it say about the people? Some of them doesn't say anything. Another way is, what does the name mean? Like Trifena and Trifosa, what does their name mean? Is it male? Is it female? What does it mean? A lot of these names are slave names. And the people that made up the Roman church, many of them were not like moneyed, wealthy, powerful people. They were slaves or they were, they were freed from being slaves. And and, uh, in this case, though, there are lists, The other way you can do is you can find, did they occur anywhere else in the Bible, like Rufus occurs in Mark and so forth, or or, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, or Prisca and Aquila here. Uh, Another thing you can do is you can take some uh, educated guesses, which is fun. You don't want to make that walk on water, but it's fun to take some educated guesses. But in the case of verse 14 and verse 15, you have the names of people who don't appear anywhere else, and there's no commentary given. They're just the rank and file folks, as far as we know. And their names are listed here, though, so it's important. And in churches across Christendom for thousands of years, people have stopped and tried to pronounce these names. Asyncritus and Philegion and Hermas and Petrobus and Hermes and the brethren who are with them. And greet Philologus and Julia and uh, uh, Neris and his sister Olympus and all the saints who are with them. And then it says this. Greet, and don't, don't do this yet. I'm gonna, I need to explain it. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, th- th- don't just like pick out a pretty girl and kiss her and say you had biblical. That's not what the passage is saying here. It's a good idea, but you probably don't want to do that. Yeah. What, what it means here is that they really have a sincere, warm, personal, culturally appropriate greeting, greeting of the holy kiss. Probably you're aware that there are some groups of Mennonites and beachy Amish people and Amish people that They try really hard to be biblical literalists. We are too, but they've really gone to great lengths to be biblical literalists. And so they actually do greet one another with a holy kiss on the lips. Men kissing men on the lips. This is the only reason. I'm not Amish right there. I I, I just don't want to have anything to do with that. No, I'm just kidding. But also they have to work really hard. It just doesn't seem like a good idea there either. Uh, anyway and and riding a bike in the winter i mean there 's a lot of things about that that, that that but they eat well, but anyway i uh, but I had a friend, and his name was Gary, and Gary had this awesome beard he 's a great guy, and, and he he, had a, he just had a great great good looking beard and um, we were reading some books, and we stumbled across this guy that kind of started the sect uh, kind of a he was a Baptist guy that left the Baptist Church and started kind of a quasi Kind of plain people, Amish kind of a sect. His name was Denny Keniston. He's a good guy. He's with the Lord now. And Denny Keniston was speaking in our area. And I said, Gary said, "Hey, why don't we go hear Denny Keniston speak?" And he's a good guy, and a really good preacher, and and love the Lord. And so I said, "All right, let's do that." And so we go to this church it's a very unusual church and met in the top of a barn and it's full of all kinds of plain people and you know Amish and semi quasi Amish and wannabe Amish and you know bearded folk and everything and I'm clean shaven and but Gary's got this beard right so we go to the meeting and we have a great meeting and and the guy preaches his heart out he's like a revival preacher and when he gets done Gary says let's go up and meet him you know what was funny about that was when we would go up to meet him because he had a beard then he thought he was in the group and kissed him right on the lips. But I was clean-shaven, so I escaped it. On the way home, it was a lot of fun, though, to say to Gary, man, you really laid one on him, Gary. I was like, Gary's a big, burly, manly guy. And I've teased him for years about that. But, But actually, this isn't supposed to be humor. What this is saying is, these are people who you are supposed to really love and greet and cherish. Paul takes greeting seriously. Seventeen times so far in this text. He says, greet these people. And this is important. You come to church, you might say, man, I can't play the guitar, or I can't lead singing, or I can't talk for an hour like pastor can go on and on. What can I do? Can you greet people? Can you smile? Can you sincerely love people? Can you listen to people, listen to their stories, and pay attention to them? Paul says greeting is important, and greeting with a holy kiss. In other words, a warm a warm embrace or a handshake. In our culture, it would probably be a warm handshake, a genuine eyeball-to-eyeball, heart-to-heart, sincere. In other words, people who are on the mission of Jesus and churches on the mission of Jesus, people who are living under the mercy, they don't live at arm's length. They don't have just a list of names. They know the stories of the people, and they care about those people, and they warmly greet those people. They're friendly, and they're kind, and they're joyful. There's something very, very powerful about that something very very important about that and then you got this next section in verses 17 through 20 where he says there are some who are hindering the mission and they're abusing the mercy now i urge you brethren verse 17 note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them for those who are such do not serve our lord jesus christ but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple for, and then he says, because that's kind of a, got a sharp edge to it, he says, I know you're not the kind of people that would, be, would let people take advantage of you like that. I know that you're solid, for your obedience has become known to all, therefore I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what's good, and I want you to be simple concerning evil, and I want you to remember that God's going to win in the end, he says, because the next verse he says, and the God of peace will cru- soon crush Satan under your feet. Will crush. Satan, under your feet shortly, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So in this little section, what he's doing is this. You know, you know, you, you meet Christian, a good Christian man or a godly Christian lady, and you say, oh, they're so sweet, they're so kind, they're so nice, they're so harmless. Well, yeah, they should be really nice and sweet and kind and friendly and a little bit dangerous. And That's what Paul is. I love this about him. Paul doesn't just say, hey, I love everybody. He he loves everybody. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. And by the way, if you try to cause division in the church, mark that person because I'm going to come after you. And Paul wasn't afraid to call people out by name. In this case, he's being nice. And he just says, you know there are people, they knew who they were. There are people that have caused division. And we're talking about heretics. What I'm saying here is people that are causing division by distorting the truth of the Bible. And, they're, and they're, 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 this is a serious matter. This is a serious heresy. This isn't like, you know, well, you had a little disagreement about something because one guy's a Chevy truck guy and one guy's a Ford truck guy. We're not talking about that. We're talking here about people that say they're serving the Lord and they got this. They go off the rails doctrinally, maybe, maybe like a fellow who writes a book and says that hell isn't real and he makes a lot of money and he gets really famous because he wrote a book says hell isn't real. Only well, problem is Jesus said hell is real. He talked about it more than anybody else. Who are you gonna believe? The guy who wrote the book? Or Jesus who created the entire world. I'm gonna stick with Jesus, right? Even though I don't, you know, hell is not a delightful doctrine to me. It's yet it's a biblical one. And so it's true in verses 17 through 20, what you see about Paul is that he was just a little bit dangerous. Paul wasn't a pushover. Paul had a protective instinct. You might be the sweetest and the most gentle and kind and loving mother here. But you're not a good mother if you don't have a real serious protective instinct, right? And some of the ladies in our church, they wouldn't hurt a flea unless you mess with their kids. And then you kind of don't want to be doing that, right? Because they have a protective instinct. And this is the way it is with a true godly pastor, a true godly apostle, a true godly Sunday school teacher. We have a protective instinct, and we recognize when bad doctrine is going to come in because we know that there's going to be blood, there's going to be bloodshed, there's going to be mayhem, there's going to be bad fruit. And Paul, he gets to the end of this book, and the whole book is about being united around the gospel in order that the gospel would go to the nations, including the Gentiles, that God would be glorified. You're going to see that's repeated in the benediction. That's what the whole book is about. Here's the truth. Be united. Say the same thing. Don't anybody mess with you about this. And get the gospel to the Gentiles so they can glorify God. Amen. That's what the whole book is about. That's the entire thing. And he's going to say that again. Then you notice there's another little cluster, and you can read them yourself. A little cluster of names. Verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker. And again, there's that worker thing again. Verse 21, Lucius and Jason and Soseter, my countrymen, they greet you. And, and this is a neat one in verse 22. Tertius was his amanuensis. He was the guy who was his secretary. Paul didn't pen the book of Romans. He wrote it through an amanuensis, a writer, a secretary. His name was Tertius, and he gets to write now, I'm personally greeting you now. I'm writing the letter. kind of cool? If that was me, I'd be like, you see that? I wrote Romans. Paul told me. God, the Holy Spirit, and Paul told me, and I wrote it down. That's my name right there. It's kind of cool. And, uh, and then Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city. In another place, there's some ancient things that have survived. You know how some men in the church are good at money? And they're good at uh, arranging. You know, they're, they're just organized. The church depends on guys like that. And this guy was also not only good at money, but he probably had some of, of his own. And in, in another place, there's an extant uh, inscription where uh, he, it's likely that he actually, at one point, this inscription says that he actually donated pavement. I was driving here on the road thinking about that this morning, thinking, that'd be kind of cool if you were in the Bible study. and he's the guy that gave, you know, that chunk of road right there? He paid for that. He donated that. Somebody paid for the bricks on this building. Somebody paid for the balcony, this pulpit. Somebody built this pulpit that we enjoy every week. That's something when you think about it. And you guys pay to keep the lights on every week and that the gospel will keep going out every week to people who are perishing who need the Lord. I wish I could put your name in the book, but I will tell you this. God never overlooks that. And he records every gift. He records every single name. He never forgets you if you are helping on the mission of Jesus and he never forgets if you are hindering the mission of Jesus. And this is the point of Romans 16. Well, so you have this beautiful, beautiful passage which gets to the benediction. He says, um, and by the way, I, I was, uh, last night you know I was gone and I was at my brother Kevin's church. He's a pastor in Higgins Lake for 12 years and he got called to church in uh, central Michigan there, uh, Mount Pleasant. Um, and the family all kind of converged there last Sunday night for his installation service. And the first guy that I met was a man who was making his way slowly across the parking lot with white hair. His name was Du Bois. He was 96 years old. Have you met him, Pastor? You're nodding. He's 96 years old. I told you about that. He's 96 years old, and he was one of the pastors. He pastored the church from 1951 into the 60s. And he and he gets into the church. He's having trouble getting up the steps into the church. He's 96. And he looks at me, and I show a lot of interest in him because, you know, we're talking royalty here, right? This is a guy that was, uh, and he goes, when we built this building, I carried his shingles up there, put them on the roof. How many of you men have carried a shingles on a roof? Yeah, look around. If you're strong enough to carry shingles on the roof, then, you know, I don't want to tangle with you because that's, that's it's, you know, it takes balance. It takes strength some ladies have done that, too, because we definitely want to know who you are. Yeah. And, and he's, he says, though, the pastor goes, he goes, and he's, he can barely walk, you know. He can barely get up on the platform. But he goes, I remember carrying his shingles up on the roof of this building right here. And I thought, here's my little brother, my little kid brother, just a young guy, just starting out. But there were men who went before, and they can barely walk now, but those men climbed the ladder with a pack of shingles and they put them on the roof and God looked down from his heaven and he goes, did you get his name? Write it down because one of these days he's coming here and we're gonna have a spot for him. We're gonna have a place for her. You see what she did? There she was sitting alone in her apartment. She was playing that instrument all afternoon. Nobody heard her. Once a week when they stop and they have the offering, she played that song for us. Did you get her name? Write it down. I want you to have her name. I don't forget names. That's not the way that I am. This is what God is telling us right here. On the way home from that meeting, Hope started to tell me a story. Our daughter, Hope, 15. She started to tell a story about a girl that she was having a conversation with. It was kind of a cute story. She had went right, We went in, and Lois was taking pictures, and I was John with everybody, and Hope went to talk with that girl. And there she stood just talking with that girl. I noticed all evening when you look around, she was standing there talking to that little girl And in the, in the service. And then after the service, they had a fellowship time. I looked over and Hope was talking to that girl. And I thought, what are they talking about? Makeup, stuff that girls talk about, hairdos, you know. And probably you were talking about that a little bit, I imagine, yeah. Uh, but on the way home, this story comes out. Hope was getting a backstory on that girl. It was kind of cool. It was like, oh, wow. She said, hey, you know what? She was saying this and that. There were things about the girl that are really obvious that if you knew the girl, they're very obvious. But then you'd kind of wonder, why are those things true? You'd have to know the story behind them. And Hope was kind of gathering that story. And then I took a phone call, and Hope got quiet. And I had a lengthy phone call. And then Hope started to tell the story again. And Lois took a phone call and kind of had a lengthy phone call. And I noticed as soon as the phone call was over, Hope started back into her story again. And she finished that story. And I realized that that night, driving across our state, Hope has crossed over. She may be crossed over before. I just never noticed it. She crossed over into an area of maturity where she was listening to the story behind what people did. And she was capturing and gathering that story. And that person was important to her. That person was important to God. And there was something that she could do to help that person. Look around this morning. Every person sitting in this room has a very important story. And their name is precious to God. And they will be on one of those lists. I helped the cause of the mission of Jesus Christ. He hindered the cause of the mission of Jesus Christ. Think about this when we talk about praying for our missionaries, and we often say we pray for our missionaries. But what if I were to say to you, "So, do you know the names of this particular missionary, and do you know their kids' names?" And can I just ask maybe three things: What are their names? What are their kids' names? And what would they tell you if you asked them, "How can I pray for your kids?" Would you know that? Here's what I think: A lot of us kind of wouldn't know that. And so, when you think about it, the Apostle Paul was a missionary. And he had the backstory on these people. He knew their names. He knew stuff about them. Why was that? How could Paul just go, oh, remember their, uh, uh, you know, remember them and them and them and them and them and remember that time with them and them and write them down? And write, How did he do that? Here's my theory. Here's my theory. Paul prayed for them and he had them on the tip of his tongue. Because he always prayed for them. He always said that in his epistles, too. When I go visit with my dad, when I leave, he prays. He doesn't pray for his own kids. He prays for his grandkids. He prays for my wife's sister's kids by name. One day, it just choked me all up. When my dad prayed for my wife's sister's kids by name, I thought, oh, my goodness. He prays for them by name. And I want to be that kind of a guy. Why don't we as a church make sure that every one of our missionaries' kids' names are known and that we pray that, we, that if you're in a group, a Bible study or a grow group or an ABF or a small group of any kind that, or even a choir, whatever, you're, that every group in our church, if you haven't already done it, adopt a missionary family so that you could say what are their needs What are their kids' names? What are they praying for their kids? Find that out. Pray for them and do whatever else the Lord tells you. And like like in a couple weeks' time, see Pastor Birch about this, because he's kind of heading this up. See him, if you're in a group of any kind, a choir or a grow group or or a, a Bible study, and you haven't adopted a missionary family yet, please go to Pastor Birch, ask him what missionary families are available, and adopt them. And let's knock this out in like one week, all right? So then Pastor Birch can come and say, hey, we've got them all adopted and all of our missionaries are getting prayed for, this is really what Paul did. And then there is this doxology, this benediction, that he's really praying glory to God who establishes you in the gospel, or in the gospel work, or under the mercy, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began and now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise... Be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. In which this doxology and this benediction, Paul just circles back and he restates the central truth of all of Romans when he says, I want you all to be united so that God will be glorified through all the nations coming to Christ through my gospel. And don't be divided, but be united about that. People matter to God. People matter to God. You matter to God. Others matter to God. We want to treat people like they matter to God. And if you think about it, your name is going to be on a list. What list is it going to be on? Are you going to be on the list of people who helped the cause of Christ? Are you going to be on the list of people who hindered the cause of Christ? That's probably a pretty important question for you to answer. If you were to go to Wolf County, Kentucky, down the mountains of Kentucky, off the mountain parkway, there's a little village there. little tiny village, inconsequential. Most people would completely overlook it. But we go there over and over and over again because it's the village where my wife was born. And there on the street, there's this uh, war memorial thing. And whenever we do the singing on the street, it's it's there in front of the Wolf County Courthouse. So we'll sing on the street, and they'll sell barbecue, and cheerleaders will sell baked goods, and everybody will break out their wonderful hillbilly songs. And they'll just sing those beautiful songs. And we'll sing with them. And then we'll walk over. And Lois will walk over to that wall. And there's a whole bunch of names. They sound a lot alike. There are a whole bunch of names. And I don't know the story behind any of them except one. And Lois will usually put her hand on that and go, look here. That's my dad's name, Ralph Hatton. He's dead, but he served the nation. And there was a story behind Ralph Hatton. And there's amazing stories that are going away from Ralph Hatton in the future, I wish that he could have seen. He's not just a name on a list. He's a person that mattered. You are a person who matters. And whoever's sitting next to you, they matter to God. Think about that. Fred Craddock has a message on this that he calls when the role is called down here. And he's a professional. He can do all this in 20 minutes. Um, but he says this. He and his wife, Nettie, they pastored a church when he was young. And then when they moved away from that church... He said, the people there made him a quilt. And when they made him a quilt, they, the ladies of the church stitched into the quilt the names of all the people in the church. And he, he says, when he and Nettie would move, they would look at that quilt. They would open it up. They would put it on the bed, and they would read those names on that quilt. And they remember all those things. Well, I got to thinking about that. And I thought, well, if I had a quilt from my first church, and a couple of these names come from another place, but if I had a quilt from my church, first church, And I read down the names. It might sound something like this. There's Bob and and Barb that stood with us when we were so young, barely 20 years old, and they backed up our ideas. And there's Mildred and Harold Peters. Mildred would give me pie whenever I'd come by. And if I wanted the church to run well, I just did whatever Harold said. And then there were Faye and Francis. They had a lot of trouble getting around. And they're with the Lord now, and I wish I had been more sympathetic with them because they had a lot of trouble climbing stairs and getting around. I was so young, I didn't understand that then. And then there was George who forgave me when nobody else wanted to. And there was Clyde and Viola, they're with the Lord now. And they died with a secret that's not particularly flattering to me. but They kept it to themselves. It could have embarrassed me, but they never told anybody. And there was Elmer and Esther Brandon and Elmer, he introduced me to pumpkin blossoms and he hooked up my washing machine, but I didn't know how to hook up a washing machine. And they helped us with our phone bill when Lois was adjusted to being a long way from her mother and spent a lot of money on the phone bill. And there was there were men who remained nameless, who stood up at a business meeting and opposed my raise <laughs> and criticized me and tried to persuade others. But then there's Jim and Linda who saw to it that my way was paid by the church through Moody Graduate School. And who behind the scenes saw to it that our little baby, who would be Hope, could be born at the Gerber Memorial Hospital in town where the doctors and nurses from the church could tend to her. And Jim saw to it that we would owe no money. And he and Linda will always be more than names on a list to me. And there was Steve Day, who in all the years that I knew him, and even though he heard me preach hundreds of times, I never could get him baptized. I even took him on a fishing trip to Lake Erie. I tried to handle it then and there. But it just didn't work And some of you, I'm a little impatient with you too and I, dis, I, I discipled him every week for a couple of years And one morning I remember walking out And my tire, my car was flat I was embarrassed because I knew I didn't have any money To put a new tire on my car and As if he was reading my mind He said, Pastor, I've been wanting to give you a gift Why don't I just buy you a tire And he went and got a tire for my car And there was Ida the Taylor who made me shepherd's pie and gave me grape juice whenever I came over to her house. And Charlotte Harris, who got me a job at Nationwide when I really needed a job really bad. Do you have a list like this? Do you have a list of people who are precious to you? Are you on a list like this? It would be a good thing for you to have a list like this and to live in such a way that you are on a list like this. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Fred Craddock, in his message on Romans 16 that I referred to earlier, he ends it with this story. He says, imagine that you take your list like they had of Romans 16, and you take it with you to heaven, and, and at the gate they say, hey, you're not supposed to bring anything here. Remember, naked, you came in naked, you did return, and you go, yeah, but I got this list, and I'm wondering about these people, because if it wasn't for them, I don't think I would be here. And let's say they take your list, and they look at it, and they would say something like this, oh, Yeah. I recognize every one of those names. On the way out here, I saw a bunch of them. They were getting together. They were painting a big sign. said, Welcome Home. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for anyone outside of Christ who would be here today. And it's just like they would be kind of looking into a warm family room and wondering if they can be a part and help them to see that if they repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone, they can be part of a forever family names written in the Lamb's book of life and a place in heaven forever. And I pray that we would be motivated to be the kind of people whose names would be in the first part of that list, laborers, servers, workers, under the mercy, on the mission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.